0: if you're gonna be an advocate for diversity and inclusion, if you have a voice, you need to use it.
1: Welcome to the Confident Podcast with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. Season five brings us more conversations with fierce female leaders. We'll be tackling a range of career readiness and leadership topics, ranging from defining your career purpose to leveraging your superpowers, and exploring key questions like, is it okay to cry in the boardroom?
2: Episode seven, building your relationship currency and work-life wisdom. Welcome, welcome, everyone.
1: Hey.
2: Hi, Liv. Mom, happy 10 years.
1: Oh, oh my God. (laughs) I was going to say happy summer, but happy 10 years is so much more powerful. And it's true. um, Actually, this episode is going to air in the week that we are celebrating 10 magical summers at camp live girl. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really a powerful moment to reflect. And I had the opportunity recently to reach out and to some of the OG campers and counselors and to talk to them about what their original camp live girl experience meant to them. And it was really impactful. I mean, what they, how they attribute their current success to, live girl and the values. And so many of them, uh, mentioned the affirmation. I'm smart. I'm strong. I'm special as being a guiding light in their lives. And, um, and live, I also think back to you, you were just (laughs)
2: small, but (laughs) (laughs) I look back at those photos and I'm like, Oh my God, like she was having her moment. (laughs) No, but it's, it's, I feel like Live Girl came at the time when I was so awkward. I mean, I feel like I still am awkward, but sixth grade awkward is different, right? I I was so awkward. Everyone was so awkward. I mean, everyone had the braces, like everyone, I I, all the photos, like my hair is all frizzy, like it's just wild and it's crazy. But Live Girl came and provided like a safe space where I, I was allowed to be my awkward, like crazy little self and really learn what it meant to actually truly embrace being that and grow into someone who is still a little awkward and a little crazy, but like so fully myself that I wouldn't have it any other way.
1: And let's be real. First of all, I'm so darn proud of you, Olivia, but you were a badass from day one. (laughs) Okay, but I was raised by a badass. And we're, we're all a bit awkward. Oh, yeah. And um, I'm so proud of you because I just see you as an exemplar of what Live Girl represents in terms of being a confident, inclusive leader and building bridges to people whose lives are different from your own. And you're now in D.C. as a public policy intern for Girls Inc. on Capitol Hill, just killing it. Um, And it's just I'm so darn proud. So um, it's this 10 years comes with a lot of sentimental reflection on looking back to really appreciate how far we've come Mm -hmm. and then I look at you because you you know
2: you you represent that in every way so I still can't believe it's been 10 years It felt like a whirlwind like it feels like yesterday when we were pulling up to like the first camp with like our car like packed with stuff (laughs) like come on it was obscene the amount of stuff we had
1: (laughs) and I wish you could have been here we did have some I know me too we had some good cake (laughs) <laughs> I thought it looked so good. It's important to have cake when you celebrate. Oh, 100%, so 100%. Yeah. Um, any, anyhow, we've got a great episode today mm-hmm. and an incredible guest. Um, she is uh, a college uh, uh, alumni from Michigan State, and I can't wait to talk to her. Liv, you're going to love her, and we're both going to learn so much. So
2: let's get into it. Christine LaPerriere is the founder and CEO of Leader in Motion, a leadership development organization focused on developing high potential female talent. A former design engineer, Christine's leadership coaching career spends 18 years with ex- expertise in, ex- in change management, restructuring organizations, sales transformation, and culture change. Welcome to Confident, Christine.
0: I am so excited to be here. Thank you.
2: And Christine, it's I'm
1: so I feel so lucky to talk to you every time I get to talk to you. um, I last saw you at the stone point capital women's leadership conference and Literally every time I hear you speak, I learn something new and I get these little aha moments about leadership. So I can't wait to jump into this and for the benefit of all of our young women in our audience. But I do have to start out by saying that you're we're both Michigan State alumni and we didn't go green. Go green. I know. Go white. Um, So that's just such a fun connection for us. But, um, you know, let's let's jump into it because there's so much to learn for you from you.
2: Yeah, yeah, so diving right in, um we like to start off by asking you to tell us something Google doesn't know about you.
0: I was thinking about this one. It's a hard and one. <laughs> maybe a fun fact. When I was 16, well 15, I was working as an administrative assistant in a nail salon, and when I was 16, the women that worked there encouraged me to go get my nail license. So I was a manicurist and I paid my way through Engineering school by doing nails and toes out of my dorm. <laughs> wow, that's amazing! There's that's a little a, fun fact. <laughs> that's
1: a you were like pre gig economy, like yeah, seriously, had side hustle. Serious side
0: hustle, yeah. It but was my- so much fun. It was the first time that I got to sit with women, you know, hour after hour after hour, and really hear and learn and understand what they were going through. So I, I it was a really fun time. So was
1: that like part doing nails and part therapy? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's it.
0: It's I think it's actually where I got my start, really.
1: I think um, hair, you know, hairdressers and nail artists must have the mo- the best stories to tell. <laughs>
0: Oh, you get some good stories. Let me tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, Christine, one of the many things that I love about you is just your non-linear career path, and I think it's so important for the young women in our community to realize that there's just so many different ways to get to where you end up. Um, and I love the story about your career pivot from design engineer to leadership coaching consultant. And I'd love for you to just to talk a little bit about that.
0: Sure. I mean, I'll just to give you know a quick idea, because this is really helpful, probably for some people who are going through something similar, you know, I studied engineering, I went into engineering, I thought it was definitely the right place for me, I was in automotive engineering. And for some reason, I hit a point about um, six, seven years in where I just felt like, I loved solving complex problems, but I was tired of chasing parts, and I was much more interested in people. And so I had an opportunity to continue to take another rotation in the engineering group. Or I had this opportunity fall in my lap for a management consulting firm outside. And thankfully, one of the tools that I learned from um, some of the Sig Sigma training was best best of the best, worst of the worst. So I started taking each job that I had been in, including my manicuring job, and I started to lay out what were some of the best qualities of that job that I enjoyed and what were some of the things I really didn't like about that job. And I did that through my whole, you know, kind of looking back through all my different jobs that I had been in, what were the things I loved and what are the things that I didn't love? And what I saw kind of surface was that I loved project-based work. I loved helping people. I loved driving change. I loved complex problems. I really didn't like repetition. I really didn't like kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And I'm by nature, not really as close to the detail. I really like to think big picture. And so it became pretty obvious to me this opportunity to go into management consulting was actually a much better fit for me. And as I went into consulting, I now started to get a chance to solve complex problems that involved people and the business and really start to drive meaningful change. And the same thing happened, you know, as I had done that work for quite a while, um, you know, I kind of was like, oh, I'm sort of ready for my next change. And started to look back and reflect again. What did I really find worked really well for me in those scenarios? And what wasn't my favorite thing? And so it really allowed me to take a pivot in 2008 and start my own business doing change management, coaching, training, and leadership development. Uh, and I've been doing it for 15 years and I absolutely love it.
1: Mm. I, I love that story. And what a great tool the best of the best and the worst of the worst. And I think it's so important that as we, you know, grow and evolve and change and the world changes too, that you constantly rethink, you know, yourself and that you, that's such a great tool to use to kind of rethink, you know, am I doing what I should be doing? Um, So I love, I love that. And for you, how it led to a a big pivot, right? From design engineer to leadership coach, and now you're thriving 15 years later. So I, I love
0: that story. Well, and it gives you some kind of a logical way to look at what's happening, Um, because it's tough to make those big career leaps without getting nervous and emotional and concerned, right? Obviously I was leaving an industry. I'm a Detroit girl. So I was leaving the automotive industry, which was a big no, no. And, um, you know, my parents had opinions on it. My family had opinions. And so it was important for me to come up with a way that it was staying true to me.
1: Yeah. By the way, um, I'm not from Detroit, but from Michigan and my brother, dad, and grandpa all worked in the automotive industry. So I understand that pull, um, so uh, no, that's cool. But, you know, I bet you you used your engineering skills when you founded your own company.
0: <laughs> they became hugely helpful. So I encourage anybody, to, you know, the education you're getting today, it's applicable down the road. It's, you know, it's not, um, you'd be amazed sometimes how different types of education become really handy even if you think you're not trained for the right job.
1: Right, absolutely. I I love that. And I think more and more there's an awareness that it really isn't, when you're in college, it's not so much about the specific major as the skills that you develop. Um, So I I think that's that's right on.
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think I hear a lot like, oh, it doesn't necessarily matter as much what you're majoring in and you can always change your career path. But I think your emphasis on that self-reflection is something that people need to definitely be talking about because it's true, like you can definitely change your career path and everything, but you do need to do it in a somewhat logical way, right? So that you can actually be successful and fulfilled. Um, And as a leadership coach, you field a wide variety of, you know, SOS calls for help from young female leaders. Um, But what do you hear most often from them? Like what are the areas where, they and we because i'm one of them need help
0: i really find that a lot of the times the source of most of those calls is around confidence but not confidence in the way that you know sometimes we think of people being let's say lacking confidence i think what happens is i work with a lot of leaders where they'll they'll start to get strong intuition about everything that's happening in the environment and for fear of not pleasing everybody in the environment they'll lose their ability to speak from their authentic self mm-hmm. they'll they'll lose their they'll they'll start to water down their answers and they'll start to water down the way they lead because they're trying to please too many people at the same time and so a lot of the times i get into really good probably some of the most impactful conversations is really trying to help them weave through all of that noise and get back to what feels fully authentic. Cause you'll see people show up so powerfully if there's no noise, they're not trying to please too many different people. They're not too scared of too many different consequences, but by nature, I, I coach an incredible number of women who they're so smart, but they just, they don't want to fail. They don't want to upset people. They don't want to, you know, be seen in someone's eyes as not capable. Um, and that fear, causes them to get confused in where their answer is and where their power is.
2: Yeah. I yeah, think that's you know, a re- really good point. Yeah.
1: And I was just going to add, I just, it's such a reoccurring theme in all of the young women that I work yeah. with as well. I think the confidence, you know, it definitely start, it, you know, confidence in girls plummets during puberty and, and never recovers. But um, this past week I sat down with eight college interns through our SheWorks program And we went around the table and I had asked them what was their biggest challenge. And every single answer related in some way to confidence. And in fact, one young woman was so bold as to say, you know, I have a hard time speaking up and asking my questions because I feel like my questions might be perceived as dumb. And she used that word. And I said, I said, you know, I really want you to take some time to step back and reflect and unpack who put that voice in your head right because that's such a strong right. word and it, it 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 hurt my heart to hear her say it and i said you know you're here you're smart you were you know picked you know selected for this program for a number of different reasons you've got a fresh perspective a gen z perspective you, you know you're a woman of color you bring so many things to the table you might be thinking of a question that no one else in the room is so please ask it but um, right. I just I think to your point, Christine, it's just such a reoccurring theme with women and young women, um, you know, who are smart and brilliant and talented, but lack the confidence to put themselves front and center.
0: And sometimes when I am challenging somebody in that that spot, especially depending on what you know what we're talking about, I will challenge them to value their own diversity if they're truly going to be an advocate for diversity and inclusion. You know, I was coaching somebody from South America who was working in a Canadian bank and didn't want to open her mouth because everybody at the table, you know, had Canadian banking experience. And I'm like, but if you believe that you think diversity and inclusion matters, your voice has to be at that table out of principle. So don't forget that you can advocate for diversity and inclusion at everybody else at the table, but then say, well, my diverse voice shouldn't get heard. That doesn't make any sense, <laughs> you know. So I really love to challenge people. If you're going to
2: be an advocate for diversity and inclusion, if you have a voice, you need to use it. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an amazing perspective. Like the whole, like you have to value your own diverse voice. I think that young women, and especially young women of color, like they're we're constantly dealing with imposter syndrome and this lack of confidence and this need uh, often like uh, it feels like a need to please everyone and I'm someone who of course always preaches like the necessity of DEI and everything but I sometimes like I face that too right and I I'm now gonna sit back and when I am when I think that I shouldn't open my mouth I'm gonna say you know what my voice matters too and I've been telling this about everyone else's so I need to say it to myself as well I love that
0: yeah absolutely you need to role model it your voice yeah exactly
2: Yeah. Yeah. A great point.
1: And, and Christine, I mentioned, I recently heard you at the Stonepoint Capitals Women's Leadership Conference, and there you were talking about the importance of relationship currency. And this was one of the aha moments that, that I was talking about, but it's so important. So can you briefly tell our audience what is relationship currency and why it's
0: so important, especially for women? Absolutely. So The concept of relationship currency is almost, um, you know, in opposition or to performance currency. So, so many of us have have been taught, especially through our education system, put your head down, work hard, and get noticed. The problem with that equation, put your head down, work hard, and then get noticed, is that there's no proactive relationship building that is being encouraged in that message, right? And so what I see is an incredible number of brilliant people walk into the workplace, workplace, put their head down, work hard, and they're waiting for someone to come along and tell them that they're doing a good job. They're waiting for the validation and they're waiting for people to come along and support them and, and such. So what I've really started to change, the messaging that I've started to change is that there's really two factors that make up your career or make up kind of the art of your career. And I think of them as the left hand and the right hand. So one being performance currency, absolutely. We need to build great performance currency, but we also need to build relationship currency. And relationship currency happens by, you know, paying attention to the people around you and those that are adjacent to you, being thoughtful about spending time with them. Sometimes it's slowing down and maybe not working on a slide deck for three extra hours, but stopping in someone's desk to get some mentorship around an issue that you're having. It's really about thinking about how you build strong relationships as well as strong performance currency. Because again, so many people, they kind of have a tendency to go so tunnel vision into the deliverables and the tasks. Again, our education system teaches you that that's what you should be focused on. But when you get into the work world, just the tasks alone and the deliverables will not really get you um, a long-standing great career with lots of advancement.
1: I think it's so important because I think as women, um, you know, we're balancing so many things. We're balancing career and family and all the invisible labor. And, and so sometimes we think, you know, we have to cut out the n- non-essentials. And unfortunately, a lot of women put th- that whole relationship, currency, networking piece into the non-essential. And I have to say like early on in my career I always remember hearing you know that relationships were important but I don't think I truly appreciated how important until later in my career until recently until like I, I decided to, myself to make a big career change and leave corporate America and start up my own nonprofit and then I really had to lean on my relationships and my network to make that happen so I I just I I want to make sure that we keep talking about this and amplifying this For all the young women out there listening, Uh, Liv, what are your thoughts on on this? Do you think young women understand the importance of relationship currency?
2: I think that, um, I mean, I feel like the buzz phrase of relationship currency should definitely be used more because I do love that. Um, I think that a lot of young women in like professional development settings understand like networking is important, but maybe they don't know how to do that you know, we don't know how to network or build those relationships. And there's also, I think I know a lot of people who do think that as long as they put their head down and do the work, then that will pay off. And unfortunately, due to like the systemic issues in the workplaces, mm-hmm. that doesn't happen if you don't build these relationships and right. if you don't make yourself heard. So I think that is incredibly important and something that maybe there is a little bit more awareness on, but not necessarily the how-to, you know, and Mm -hmm. there needs to be a, like, continue to build that, right?
0: And I mean, I would just say in short, too, on the how-to front for anybody that's listening, just pick two or three important relationships, and think about how to strategically nurture those relationships. One thing that I see a missed opportunity is to ask for help in coaching and mentorship. So how many times are there these more senior people around you. They want to help you. They want to see you succeed. And they'll say to you, oh, call me if you ever need anything. But meanwhile, I'll see young, ambitious types with their head down working hard, and they'll never stop to go ask, you know, hey, can I get 20 minutes and just pick your brain on how you navigated this challenge or this issue? Or can you teach me a little bit about why the sales process looks like this? You know, the opportunity to get mentorship is actually an opportunity to nurture relationships. So don't miss that easy win-win opportunity.
2: Great point. Yeah, I think that's so important, especially because um, as we were talking about earlier, sometimes uh, like a lot of young women think that asking questions and asking for help um, can make them seem not like, like they don't belong in that setting. But as you're saying, it can often be the opposite. They can actually build these relationships and on a similar note your newsletter the whip focuses a lot on work life wisdom and things like this um, so what is your best advice in this area you've already given so much but <laughs> absolutely
0: so this is how i think about work life wisdom so first of all i don't think the concept of balance is the right idea it insinuates 50/50 and it feels like it sets up for failure so you know anybody who's been through a long track in their career, they'll tell you it never really looks 50-50 in a day, let's say it kind of looks that, you know, over the over time. What I think is focusing on what it is, what are your individual boundaries, given your life and your situation, that are going to make you successful in a couple different areas of life at the same time. So how are you going to be successful in your career? How are you going to be a successful mom or a successful partner? Or a successful entrepreneur, whatever those happen to be, how are you going to be successful at the same time, given you have those? And what I love to challenge people on, and this is one of the key concepts in the book that I wrote, I wrote a book called Too Busy to Be Happy, but one of the big key concepts is this idea of emotional real estate. And so I always say if your brain is the house, you have this front yard, and it is this fixed amount of real estate that you can use to focus on you know, people, problems, issues, accomplishing things, the baggage from your past, the fight you just had with your parents, the concerns that you have over getting the project done, that's all using up emotional real estate. And if you start to think about emotional real estate as a similar fixed resource, the way that you think of time and the way you think of money, you become much more frugal with your emotional real estate which means I'll make a very conscious intention to decide I'm not gonna worry about that because I don't want it to use up emotional real estate. I wanna use more emotional real estate on helping my clients than worrying about a massive Instagram feed. You'll probably find that if you go find me on Instagram, that'll make (laughs) sense. Um, but, But I choose what I'm gonna use emotional real estate on because I don't wanna water down my impact in a couple of specific areas. And so anybody who's trying to understand, like, how do you juggle it all? This idea of emotional real estate being your fixed budget to kind of manage and be successful in multiple areas of life, it can really force you to start asking, oh, maybe that friend that drains a lot of emotional real estate, maybe it's time for me to put more distance there. Maybe, maybe I don't need to use so much emotional real estate worrying about this relationship with this person at work. Maybe I'm going to make a choice like, hey, if you want to be grumpy, that's fine, that's your problem. But I'm not going to use any more emotional real estate on it. You'll notice that you'll actually feel lighter and more peaceful when you're in control of how you use and use that resource that you have available.
2: Yeah, that's that's so important. I think that oftentimes because you can't you can't actually hold your emotional state or how much emotional capacity you have left, a lot of people treat it as if it's unlimited um, for themselves and for others. And that's definitely not the case. I think, I mean, especially now like burnout is at at an all time high. and We need to kind of reframe that whole thinking. Hmm.
0: You nailed it. It's the idea that you have unlimited amounts. So my, I had an experience with burnout. I talk about it in the book and it was pretty serious. What I learned was that I, number one, was using up emotional real estate as if I had unlimited amounts. And second, I was waiting for someone else to come along and give me permission to take care of myself. And nobody was going to come along and do that. Nobody at work was going to say, hey, maybe you need to go for a run after work. Nobody, you know, nobody, none of my friends were going to say, hey, you know, maybe, maybe you need to work a little bit more on that project or, you know, nobody was going to give me permission to make the adjustments and I needed to take ownership for those.
1: Wow. I'm like seriously just sitting here speechless because like the, that concept just resonates so much with me yeah. and the whole term emotional real estate. Um, uh, I I have to keep thinking about this and I'm unpacking this for myself personally. And I definitely want to read your book, Too Busy to Be Happy, because um, that may, may or may not, you know, apply to a friend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to someone, you know,
2: that might be using up a lot of emotional real <laughs> yeah, estate. Yeah, totally.
1: <laughs>
2: um, exactly. Oh my gosh.
1: Well, Olivia, I told you we were going to learn so much from Christine yeah. um, and we did. And I we could keep talking, but we just want to transition and, and just close out the the interview with a couple of fun speed round questions, Christine, so our listeners can get to know you a bit better. So the first one I'll ask is what's one gender stereotype that you want to smash?
0: I was thinking about this. And I don't think I'm answering the question directly, but let me tell you a pet peeve of mine around gender stereotypes. So I have a little boy and I have a little girl. And the way that when you go give people um, clothes for babies when they're little girls, here's what the little girls outfits say. I'm daddy's little cupcake. I'm mommy's little sweetheart. Um, I love rainbows. I dream big. And then you give little boys these same little outfits, and it'll say, "I'm the boss man, I run fast, I play the game hard." And there's all these very confidence-inducing types of statements. Nobody ever gave me, "I'm mommy's little cupcake for my son," right? They never gave him an objectified statement. You know, it was much more, um, it was much more action statements and much more confidence building. And so I look at this along with certain cartoons like, you know, that are completely targeted towards girls versus boys. And I just see this huge missed opportunity. You know, I spend so much time working with people trying to uncover where some of their own personal unconscious bias comes from. And then as a mom of a boy and a girl and watching it start from ground zero, it's wild how much of it, is ingrained in our childhood. So that would be my, you know, one day when I have lots of spare time, I'm going to write a nasty gram to Carter's and get them to ch- change some of the language that they're using in their girls and boys clothes.
1: Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And we know that gender norms are, are emerge as early as age five or six. I mean, when you ask boys versus girls, you know you know, what do you think about a scientist or what do you think, can you be good at math? I mean, their answers already indicate gender norms and gender stereotypes driven by the clothing that you just Mm -hmm. described, which if I had a vomiting sound effect, I would have played it (laughs) when you described Exactly. Um, so, So I'm with you out there. Let's definitely smash those early, you know, putting the boys versus girls into those boxes, please.
0: Sure. Yeah. (laughs) And we can still honor, you know, a little bit of feminine, masculine. I'm okay with that, but it's just, why do we need to endorse these types of, you know, people walk up to your kid and then they read their shirt to them. (laughs) Right. And so they hear it hundreds of times. So yes, it's, that's on my list.
2: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I'd I'd love to get rid of that. (laughs) Um, The next question is who is inspiring you right now?
0: Oh man. I have so many. I'm looking at my bookshelf, actually. That's why Mm -hmm. I'm looking up. Um, One that I love right now, uh, there's um, Dr. Becky Kennedy, who's talking a lot more about parenting. But what's really cool about parenting is that it has this beautiful parallel with leadership. And the way you navigate the complexity of, you know, people who might not understand an idea or a concept, like how do you actually show them leadership? Uh, So I listen to her work with a very different lens sometimes, because obviously I appreciate it as I am a parent, but I also really notice um, how many times leading people mimics great parenting. And so I'll just mention that as kind of a fun one for anybody out there um, who's kind of looking for a fresh, she's got a fantastic podcast and just how she deals with different people issues is actually quite insightful.
2: That's so interesting.
1: Yeah, I want to look that one up. Yeah, and then last question: as we head into the summer, uh, what are you obsessed with right now?
0: What am I obsessed with? That one is so interesting. I'm still trying to think. I'm I'm kind of I'm spending a lot of time listening to a lot of pa- a lot of podcasts that are mm-hmm. funny. <laughs> yeah. Um. Who I had a. Ch- yeah, that's it. You know, I had um, a drive back from Toronto the other day and it was, I was listening to an interview with Alec Baldwin and he's just hilarious and genius and brilliant and completely non-business related. Um, But again, maybe it's just me. I love to hear different people in non-business settings and kind of notice what I admire or what I would like to extract. And he has just an incredible charisma and the ability to tell stories and to be funny and you know he just keeps an interview going for two hours like you can't help but love him by the end. Um and so I just find like right now I'm I'm kind of addicted to um great interviewers that can be charismatic and funny and just keep me keep keep life light. <laughs>
1: I agree. I agree. So needed um, yeah I'm loving right now the wiser podcast with Julia Louise uh, Dreyfus. I, I'm loving- I love that one. And I have love to say it. I also I'm in I'm in I'm obsessed with the bear. Olivia knows. Um, she, yeah. actually, she, Olivia binged season two all in one
2: night. So like I did. I'm, I'm not sure really like, that's, that's, that's comedic, but <laughs> what one is it? It's the bear. The bear. It's a show. It's there's, a TV show. It's
0: yeah,
1: really good. Out. It's based in Chicago, Chicago food scene, but it's brilliant.
0: Now that we mentioned yeah. it, you'll see it everywhere. You, yeah.
2: You have to watch it. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um I noted noted um <laughs> yeah I know I love a good uh Netflix binge and um I just got mm-hmm. done with bad bad sisters oh yeah that was a oh good yeah one. yeah yeah. oh my god yeah <laughs> I like couldn't stop dark comedy. Like, yeah. yeah. comedy yeah yeah but I think I think for sometimes I'm very serious and I think um anything that's kind of lightening the lightening the mood is good for me sometimes yeah
2: for sure
1: well, listen, Christine, you're amazing. Thank you for all you're doing to build confident, inclusive leaders. And thank you for all you do for LiveGirl and our community to support our leadership development. We appreciate you. And um, we every time we talk, we learn so much from you. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much. This was fantastic.